Welcome to Sharing My Truth with Mel and Susie, the uncensored version, where we bear it all. We do. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sharing My Truth. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Mel and Susie. And we just want to give you a quick reminder to rate this podcast five stars and give us a little review about how much you love us because we do a little praise kink. Me and the, me and the old MILF over here. <laughs> and don't forget to follow us on Sharing My Truth pod on all of our socials go to our website sharingmytruth.com and leave us a voicemail you can dm us you can email us you can talk to us we'll answer we will hey babes hello darling how are you i'm truly fabulous fuck yeah but i love the way you just called me the old milf no i just meant like my old friend milf (laughs) (laughs) it's okay i can take it i'm a big girl at least you're a milf i didn't call you the old maid that's very true Come on, you got to be grateful for the little things. Grace, that's absolutely true. (laughs) Whatever, I'll take what I can get at my point in life. To be fair, (laughs) well, we have a very, very exciting and important episode today, and um, we spoke to Dr. Carolyn Klein, who I am literally obsessed with. Mm. I hope she doesn't mind me saying, but I literally have a girl crush on her. (laughs) Like I am so obsessed with her. The answers we just had our interview with her, and the answers that she gave us, and I'm so excited to share this interview with everyone. It's so amazing what she says about just sexuality in as a whole. Obviously, she's a sex therapist. Mm. Um, she's a registered psychologist. She's the director at West Coast Sex Therapy. And she's she's just challenging these normative ideas about sex and the way her opinions are. It's I mean, it's mind blowing, honestly. I mean, I found it fascinating because I just, it's just such common sense. Yes. The way she was speaking and, and just sort of common sense, no judgment. Uh, it, it's just enlightening, really. And I, you just think to yourself, if there was more of a narrative like that in society, how much healthier people would be, you know, how, how much we would sort of live in a much healthier, happier, sort of non-dark world. I really do think that. I mean, she was amazing. And uh, enlightening is really the only way I can um, describe it. Because mm-hmm. she said a lot of things. Yeah, I. that's what I think. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, she's just amazing. Like, I literally am obsessed with her. I blacked out after our, our interview with her. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't even know what our conversation was, but I know it was great. Like, I... I've been wanting to have therapy for a very long time. And I know that she, like, you speak to her and you're like, I could literally open up to you. Yes. And I've honestly never felt that about a therapist in a really long time. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing what she was just like, she's so open. And I think that's such an important thing. And most of the sexual community is just you know, we're just, we're always trying to be more open, more open, more open, like find these answers. And sometimes they're just not an answer. Sometimes it's just, it's, you know, there doesn't need to be an answer. It doesn't need to be performative. It's just, it's 100%. just what it is. 100%. I mean, it's like some, we're overcomplicating things Yes, sometimes. exactly. Like, like one of the things, <laughs> yeah, she said in the interview is like, let's say you like uh, a certain kind of TV program. And do you have an explanation as to why, you know, some of those wild 
sort of yeah. shows about crime and shit on TV. Why do you like that? You don't do that in your life. You don't, you know, why do you want to watch that? And you actually have no explanation for it. Mm -hmm. Or even some of the shows like, you know, these shows that are super popular that people watch like Love Island or whatever. And like, why are you watching this complete trashy tv yeah and you don't actually have an explanation or me why do i scroll through tiktoks i don't know it's just the way you fucking are and that's and, okay. and some, sometimes it's just sometimes something's interesting that is actually not interesting mm -hmm. and i you don't actually have an explanation but why do we have to have an explanation yes i don't need to explain everything and i think society we are a little fatigued do you like that fatigue i love that by the idea of constantly explaining every facet of yourself and sticking yourself in these amazing huge descriptions that sometimes i don't have a full description for who i am no. and i am um, i you know i identify with the the <laughs> the white blonde milf lady <laughs> <laughs> like no i mean i was born a female i identify right. with being female i'm heterosexual i've never really thought outside of that i but still i have facets of my personality mm -hmm. that are not like i don't have an explanation for exactly you that don't need thing to. but i don't need to but we seem to need it so mm -hmm. desperately well we want but answers i think that's very we want human answers. it's very it's very yeah. human normative to want answers to everything that's why we're so obsessed with religion and all these things like why are we here in general but i think, I think yeah. what she says it's like it's you just, want answers because be. society has told you that you are if you are not exactly like x y and z if you're female or even if you're gay or whatever and you're not exactly like the mm -hmm. thing in the box the description the ingredients on the you know the outside yes. then what are you exactly and the, the, it's ridiculous but and, and i think to challenge that and we sort of pretend that we do but i don't think we really do yeah and we don't sort of just let people get on with things and she she had so many interesting things and particularly i think what was the most interesting for me is that she was talking about different age ranges of people yeah and that why are people coming to see her when they're younger when they're in their mid mid part of their life when they're older and you know listen to the next bit listen to the interview but that is fascinating yeah, let's, not, let's not give it all away mel no i said listen <laughs> well here it is guys we hope you enjoyed the interview let us know what you think and we'll see you after the show we will thank you so much carolyn i'm Susie. i'm mel obviously lovely to meet you thank really you so nice much i know you're very very busy so we really appreciate you taking the time in the middle of your day for this we're gonna get into it um we just have a couple questions, but we obviously just want this to be a conversation, you know, and that's kind of what the podcast is about. It's about just sharing your truths, but making it fun and not making anything scary, which I'm sure you have a lot of experience with as well, being a literal sex therapist. Um, but yeah, this is this is great for us. Um, and we really just want to start the conversation off with asking the basic question of what does a sex therapist do? <laughs> we talk about sex all day long. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it, it, I guess my very first answer that I always try and educate people about is that anyone can actually call themselves a sex therapist in Canada. 
We um, in Ontario, it's a little bit different. I think you guys are in Ontario, and they, they do have a certification process in Ontario for people who want to be. But the rest of the provinces here in where I'm in Vancouver, anyone can hang up their shingle and say they're a sex therapist. So I always say, you know, if you do a Google search for sex therapists in your area, you are going to find a bunch of people doing some really crazy, wacky stuff that might be really fun to check out. It might not be what I do. Um, so I'm a registered psychologist, and that means that we've got a pretty uh, ironclad code of conduct. And it means the kind of stuff that I'm doing in the office might be a little different than some of the things others might do. But in general, I'm there to help people with their emotions around sex. So people come to a sex therapist because they are feeling shame or anxiety or disgust or guilt about their sex in some ways. Um, Dr. Marty Klein, who I have the same last name, but I'm not actually related to him in any way, although I know him well, uh, he always has a great saying and he says a great sex therapist is just a therapist who isn't distracted by sex because at the end of the day, we're really just working with people with the painful emotions that tend to accompany sex because we live in a society that doesn't talk very openly about it which is so great that you guys do talk openly about it because I think that actually goes a long way to helping people that they don't even end up in my office because they start to see that they're normal, that things are not wrong with them. Right. Right. So when do you think that maybe starts as like that they're seeing that or they're kind of feeling shame about sex? Like, does it start from a very young age? Yeah, great question. So I would say it starts super young and I'll share a quick little story. So I'm a mother. My daughter is about to turn nine and I've shared this story before. Um, last September, I was doing a, um, a, a forum here in Vancouver, an inspirational forum. I was speaking at it and I needed to, it was on a Friday afternoon that I had to go for a sound microphone check at the theater. And it was my day to pick up my daughter and her best friend from school that day. So I dragged them with me to the theater and did my microphone check and they sat in the empty audience seats the the summit was going to be the next day and when I was done I called my daughter and a friend up to the stage to go out the backstage doors and my daughter sweetly says she says mommy I wish I could come with you tomorrow and hear you speak and I said well I think that'd be really boring for you and she said why because you're going to talk about sex and before I could answer her best little friend uh, jumped in and she said isn't that inappropriate And my daughter, this was a very proud moment for me as a sex therapist and mother, she said, no, sex can be really healthy for adults. And I was really proud. But it just goes to show that this eight-year-old right away hears that I'm just going to be talking about sex, not that we're watching sex, not that we're having sex, just that I'm going to talk about sex. And she's already gotten the message that to talk about sex is inappropriate. And I see that with my daughter's friends all the time, that there's this taboo around sex. There's this taboo about talking about it. They have been given that message loud and clear. So I think it starts really early on. Wow. That's so interesting. That's fascinating. I have two daughters. They're teenagers. And I think if, you know, I'm very open. Mm -hmm. And I think the way they are compared to the way I see a lot of their friends and you it's it's continuously fascinating to me because I think we live in we're supposed to be in a more progressive world and everyone's supposed to be more open and it's just not happening and you're absolutely right it's coming from what's coming from at home what what's it sort of it keeps getting passed on generation to generation doesn't it I mean it's just it's crazy yeah that's fascinating mm-hmm. it does yeah well I was just um I was at a family reunion in Mexico recently. 
And I was talking to my cousins who live in Mexico and I'm talking about this conversation. And I don't know, on my Instagram, I put some of it of, of teaching kids about the clitoris. And one of my family members was sort of like, well, why would a child need to know about the clitoris? And I sort of think, well, why does the child need to know about their elbow? You know, like these are our body parts. Why wouldn't we? And if we don't talk about the clitoris, then really, again, they're not learning that that's a part of the body that's actually really important for sexual pleasure. And I definitely, when I had my for sexual experiences, no one was talking about the clitoris. I wasn't saying to partners, hey, make sure you focus on this part of the body. So if we're not talking about it, we're actually setting people up to not have great sexual experiences. And yet we want sex to be this thing that's supposed to be fun and feel really good and be really connecting. And instead... A lot of young women, their first sexual experiences are not good. And I'll say one more quick thing about that. I was recently at a conference and one of the research studies that was being presented that I thought was so fascinating was they were looking back and asking young people when they had their first sexual experiences how they felt about them. And what you see in the research is men see their first sexual experiences as this rite of passage. They feel really good about it. I'm turning into man, like becoming a man. And women, they see it as the loss of something. And even our language, you know, you lose your virginity. And they see it with this thing of like, my first time was not good. And I should have done it in a different way or a different place and time. And we're not helping women or girls to think about how do they want it to be. You know, we sit there fantasizing about their wedding day for hours and hours. What do you want it to look like? But we never have the conversation with young women of, well, what would you want your first sexual experience to be like? So that we help them have a positive one. That's so interesting because yeah. I, I mean, I didn't, I, and Mel and I have spoken about this before is like, I do not remember learning about the clitoris or any kind of women pleasure, anything about that in any of my sexual health classes in school. And then also, I remember, I don't even remember, I don't even think I knew what the clitoris was until mm-hmm. I was like 18 years old. Yeah. And that's like way after when I lost my virginity. Still, that so many people still don't understand the stimulation of the clitoris, like like having sex. It's this. It's all about penetration, and that mm-hmm. even in today's world, that people don't understand that is just fascinating to me. You know, as a Gen X at my age, being fifty, like, how can we still be here? I just find it deeply, well, sort of disturbing, fascinating, all at the same time. Which kind of leads on to to the next question, um, if that's okay with you. Is like the people that come to see you, are they a specific age group? Do you find like there are specific, like we talked about when do these things start, but mm-hmm. even when is your awareness around, around mm-hmm. there's an issue or, you know, is, is there a particular kind of trigger point in terms of age or? Yeah, great question. So um, I only work with adults. That's my training. So I see people from age 19 and up. And I think my oldest client to date was 89, I think. So right through from 19 to 89. Yeah. And um uh, and, and what I would say is there's definitely some like spikes in the demographic where we will see people come in. One of the prime times is once people have children because their sex lives take a real hit. And at this point, they've been living together for a while. They're into their routines. They're into life stressors. And now kids come along and their sex lives take this real turn for the worse. And they're sort of panicking like, is this as good as it's going to get? What does it mean about us? Are we just becoming roommates? So we see a lot of couples come in around that time where they are struggling with their intimacy, there might be a desire discrepancy. But we're also right now seeing a lot of young men in particular, although I'll talk about women and non-binary folks as well, but young men coming in where I would say um, 
the impact of pornography and the lack of sex education to go along with it is leading to a lot of distress in young men. So I'm neither pro nor, nor anti-porn. Uh, you know, you can use a hammer to build a house or you can use a hammer to smash one in. And we use pornography in great ways in sexuality. And people can use pornography without good sex education to create a lot of shame and anxiety. So we're seeing a lot of young men come in who are thinking they have premature ejaculation because they're not lasting 45 minutes, because that's what you see in porn. And we're seeing lots of men who are fearful of their their erections or lack of erections because they think they should be hard before their partners even touched them. Uh, all these different things, because in porn, you only see a hard penis and you only see it lasting forever. Um, you see it hard even when the man's going down on the woman, all these different things, right? So porn plus no education leads to a lot of sexual anxiety. And uh, so we get right now a big demographic of young men coming in. And similarly, right now, the whole thing of sex addiction and do you like sex too much? We see men coming in thinking they like sex too much. And we see women coming in thinking they don't like sex enough. So there are all these fears of, am I normal? Do I like it too much or too little? Is my body doing what it should? So we are getting a lot of young people coming in with that. And then again, we get this big spike uh, when you've got kids. And then we get them all the way up to 89. Wow. And if you're, if you are 89, if you are a lot older, what kind of suddenly happens that you're like, I'm going to sort of now do something about it? Or is it just like, oh, I've been unhappy or whatever for so long, I'm going to do something about it or that the society's more open and I can see somebody about it? Is that part of it that people don't even know who am I supposed to be talking to? Yeah. Exactly those things. I think there's a variety of them. Uh, I can't remember the 89-year-old specifically, but in general, for some, it is that a spouse has passed away and now they're kind of back to like, hang on, how do I find myself, my own sexuality? When I was raised, masturbation was not okay, but is that true? And can I explore pleasure within my own body? For some, it is that aging sometimes comes uh, with changes to the body and medical conditions and how, you know, we don't want to give up our sex life. So we've I've got a whole bunch of people in retirement age who are saying, hang on here, we're not ready to give this up, but we need to find a new way of doing it. And again, they were often raised with the penis and vagina model. And now that doesn't work so well. So it's like, how else can we be sexual together and maintain it? So lots of, we want to enjoy retirement and that includes sexually. That's amazing. And do you think it's the, like, what are they looking at? Are they looking at, uh, you know, like media in general? What do you think is helping them to think or society, the shift in society is helping people to think, actually, no, I don't have to live like this. I can do something about this. Yeah, I, I do think there is a shift. I think there is a big shift. Um, and, and some things like, you know, Lori Brado's work uh, with mindfulness and Emily Nagoski, Come As You Are, and Dr. Lori Mintz, Becoming Clear. I think there are books making their way around and there is more of like women deserve pleasure too. There's definitely always been and still a focus for men uh, and sometimes a tying to their their feeling of manhood. So for men, there's often a lot of, of incentive to keep the sexuality going in addition to just the pleasure itself. But I do think we are getting out there more. I mean, the fact that again, you know, I think I was listening to um, Emily Morris's podcast and like how she was the only podcast back in the day. And now there's so many podcasts focused on sexuality, right? And it's amazing that we are seeing it. And despite it being so tricky on social media to get any content about sexuality out, the fact that we have now have access to YouTube and podcasts and everything, I think people are getting exposure to a lot more positive messaging about sex. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So we're in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. 
Yeah, you are. You are creating the direction. I mean, again, I think so many people are going to be listening to your podcast. They're going to be like, okay, I'm not alone with that. Or, oh, that's a really interesting way of thinking about that. And the fact that the two of you are willing to each have different voices about it and talk it out is amazing because we don't have that role modeled very often. Totally. Mm -hmm. Like it's so hard because you want to, you want to be able to talk to your, um, and obviously you said you're a mother and I'm not a mother, but, um, you know, I think, they they gave me some kind of book from the 70s that <laughs> I swear to God that you know, to talk to my mother about sex was not it wasn't my favorite thing to do and it definitely wasn't her favorite thing to do. So we didn't really talk about it at all. Really, we spoke of everything you could even think about sex. And I was like, mm -hmm. I'm hiding this under the couch and I'm never looking at this again. And like that was my pretty much sex education from my parents. Mm -hmm. And then obviously everything else was at school. Mm -hmm. And then I had to figure everything out. And I was a very yeah. sexual person very early for whatever reason. And no one else seemed like myself around me. It was much more like you are this weird kind of slutty, sexy person. And I was energy besides maybe the boys in my class or the men around me. And like, why am I kind of maybe the only woman who's completely okay with that? And but I was like, why does no one else feel kind of the same around sex? And so that was just a very interesting thing kind mm. of growing up around yeah. that. Were you more of a sexual person when you were younger as well? Yeah, so I, absolutely. The fun, you know, I'm, I'm always you know, the language I always think is really interesting because what I would say is that I am just a pleasure seeker. And whether it's food or it's my cozy bed or it's sexuality, I mean, I just go for things, you know, I, I push myself to exercise because it's good for me, but not because I like it because there's no part of exercising that to me is pleasurable, right? So I am geared towards pleasure. And and I think as a kid, I just was really curious. And, and that is still true today. So you put curiosity and pleasure seeking together and you tend to find that there's parts of your body that can be really pleasurable. And um, so, yes, I was interested in sexuality. Again, I don't think I thought of it as sexuality. I think I thought of it as pleasure at a very early age. Um, and I think it was, as I was going forward, very similar to your experience, Susie. I, you know, in high school, I remember wanting to think about and talk about sex a lot. And my friends would sometimes be like, well, we don't have to talk about that all the time, Carolyn. And now, now my friends are used to it, that it is what we talk about all the time. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think now my curiosity is even stronger because people have such discomfort with it, because there are so many nuances of culture and generation and, where in the world you grew up. So I still find it super fascinating how taboo we've made sex. Yeah. yeah. And then like in your experience and your obviously expertise, um, what does, what does good sex in general mean? Like, is it obviously it's very a personal thing, mm -hmm. but you know, if someone has a healthy sex life, like what does that look like? Yeah. You know, in some ways it's, I totally know what you mean about personal of how it, how it gets carried out. But in some ways I would say it's not very personal. It's pretty generic that good sex or a healthy sex life is one that doesn't have a ton of negative emotions or negative consequences associated with it. If your sex life has shame and anxiety and guilt and fear and disgust associated with it during or after, that's not a very healthy sex life. If your sex life leads you to feel more disconnected from your partners during or after, that's not a very healthy sex life. So whatever it is that people are doing doesn't really matter to me, but as long as the emotions associated with it and the connections associated with it are the ones that you want to have, that's a great sex life. 
people talk about it a little bit more, but there's still so much shame sort of wound up in it. And then, and I see like, from my perspective, I have young, you know, teenage girls, and I do see teenage boys that that is the way they learn about sex. And, you know, their first experience is what they think is going to happen. So that now I, then they, obviously, it's such a, they have so many crazy ideas that they think that obviously sex is going to be like, porn because they don't understand or most people don't understand that it's entertainment it is not meant to be how it is it's meant to be fantasy it's meant to be fun it's meant to be entertaining and that somehow we still don't understand that and the so it's so very loaded that you know that young well like you were taught young men just don't know what to expect so I think that also thinks that also makes me think that they think sex is like a such a complicated thing and that sort of leads into things like fetishes like I think people think that everyone's out there doing all these crazy things and you're really really boring and that everyone's got some like wild thing or they go to some party or whatever it is they do so I mean that would be my question is that actually common that people have fetishes or we like building up a bit like porn this whole idea about sex that actually no most people are just you know, having not, not, I hate the word normal, but a a healthy sex life. Can I ask you, what is it you think? If you're saying, is it what we think? What do you think? Well, that's, um, I think a lot, well, I seem to think it's a lot about feet. No! (laughs) Feet or people, and I hate feet. So feet or people maybe dressing up in certain personas. Yeah. And bondage. And what about cuckolding? Mm-hmm. Is that technically okay. a fetish? I think it is. Well, so so this is what's interesting. I mean, the whole term fetish is uh, one that. Can I back up for a second and say something else? Yes. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a registered psychologist, and it's interesting that it's only in sex that I see people self-diagnosing all the time. So if you have any sort of medical condition, you would never go to your doctor and say, you know what, I have diabetes. You'd go to your doctor with the symptoms and you'd say, doctor, tell me what's going on. But in Mm -hmm. sex, people come in and they say, I've got a a sex addiction, or I've got erectile dysfunction, or I have a fetish. You know, in some ways, the terminology, everyone's defining it for themselves. And a lot of that's based on societal attitudes and the fact that we, again, don't talk about it openly. Whereas clinicians would, would sometimes define these things quite differently. So, you know, a fetish, we would say, is something where it is really quite atypical, not necessarily in any way problematic. Like if you like feet, you like feet. Uh, you know, what's the difference? Uh, other people like anal sex. And you could argue which one uh, do you want? You know, some people are going to be more disgusted by one than the other. But right. I think in terms of fetishes, what I what I would say is both extremes are true. I think that on the one hand, uh, people are a lot kinkier than they let on. And <laughs> we know from Dr. Justin Lay Miller's research, for example, in his great book, Tell Me What You Want, that the vast majority of people at some point are interested in threesomes or group sex or gangbangs. The vast majority of people at some point become interested in some sort of power exchange. So the BDSM kind of stuff, um, those are incredibly common. And on the other hand, what I'm also going to say is people become interested in them. But on the other hand, the vast majority of people coming into my office are more on the side of being too vanilla for their own liking. Mm -hmm. Their sex has become incredibly boring. Their heart is not racing anymore. They're doing it in the same way, in the same order every night. You know, they brush their teeth, wash their face, put on their pajamas, crawl into bed, lie there. Then their partner comes into the room, starts to, you know, rub here, rub there a little bit like the genie in the magic lamp. 
hoping that something's going to happen. And they try and will sexual desire out of them. Yeah. It's the most mm-hmm. boring and vanilla circumstances. Um, I, I say this in the kindest way possible. Most of the sex my clients are having is not very desirable sex. And thankfully, mm-hmm. then we can work on that and change it. So I think people want to feel excited. They want their heart racing. They want to feel, you know, kind of the titillation of something. And then they are constrained within society's bounds to be like, well, that's kind of weird. We shouldn't try this. We shouldn't do that. So they end up having really vanilla sex that isn't very good. And so can I ask you for maybe people who don't really know or not really sure, what is vanilla sex in the way of, you know, how you're speaking about it? Um, So in the way that I'm speaking about it, I would say that really vanilla sex is often sex where they do it in the same order, Uh the same way, the same moves that they've done for the last whatever number of years they've been in their relationship. They do it in the same room of the house. They do it at the same time of day, usually the end of their day. Uh Um, it's, It's sex that they believe is sort of like, well, this is the only time we have, or that they believe, well, you know, we're not that young anymore. This is what it should look like. But there really is no true memory making. Each sexual act is as unmemorable as the one before it. And I always say intimacy is about creating experiences together. And so it's interesting to me how many times people come into my office and say they are here to talk about intimacy when really they're talking about two bodies just moving together in ways that aren't great for either of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I mean, I think that vanilla sex is in some ways the sex that has nothing added to it. And it is just penis and vagina or a little bit of touching here, a little bit of oral there. And there's not a lot of memory making. Right. And I mean, so Mel and I have both been in relationships for quite a while now. So like mm-hmm. my relationship, I've been in for seven years with my boyfriend. And Mel, how long have you and Max been? 25 years. I was, I was going to say dating. Um, <laughs> dating <was already. laughs> so maybe what's, I would love to know, like, um, if you deal with like couples, what's the best way to kind of maybe like spice things up if you feel like you're kind of getting into this vanilla sex? Yeah. Great question. Great question. Um, Now, obviously, I always, you know, when I'm working with a couple, it's what's within their values and what's within their kind of pleasure uh, thermometer. You don't want to get people doing things that are outside their values or that trigger a disgust response. But that aside, what I would say is normally I say to people, start with the stuff that has to do with your five senses. You know, if you're kind of getting into that routine, end of the night, in your bed, all this kind of stuff, well, then start to play around with taking away the role of sight. Uh, Blindfold each other and notice how it changes it. Or put music on again. You know, early on in dating, if you end up at your partner's house, normally they're going to have music and candles going. And later on, so many of my couples, they've got no music. And I Uh always say it's so different to have sex to... Enya versus an African drumbeat versus nine inch <laughs> nails versus dirty talk versus sweet loving talk where you just gaze into each other's eyes and tell each other how much you love each other. Those are all different kinds of sex with different tempos, with different amounts of pressure. So play around with sound, play around with sight, play around with uh, taste. You know, all of the five senses is a great way to start because I watch a lot of couples, they go straight for the sex store and it's like, okay, we bought all the sex toys mm. and it's just not doing it for us. But that's because they haven't changed the context yet and they're going straight for the hard hitting stuff. And sometimes we need a bit more of an on-ramp. So that's kind of sometimes where we start from. Let's change the whole mood in the room. 
The other one that I'll quickly say is the communication piece. Start to talk about what's hot. And this part I could talk about for hours, but I'll keep it concise. You know, back to even some of the stuff we were starting to touch on earlier, people often have this fear of if I share with my partner this thing that kind of gets my heart racing, will my partner think that I actually want to do it like a threesome or a gangbang? Or will my partner be disgusted and think, I didn't know you were like that. That's not who Mm -hmm. you are. And the big thing that I always say is that sex is how adults play. And so my daughter is an eight-year-old and she's starting to grow out of it now, but you know, five, six, seven, eight-year-old, when she plays with her friends, she never plays that she's the eight-year-old daughter of a psychologist. Never. She (laughs) always plays that she is like an aerial gymnast or she's a warrior princess or she is a teacher with 20 bad children, anything that is not her life. And so in sex, we know it's the same thing that early on in dating, well, anything is great because you're still getting to know the other person. But once you're 25 years in, you need to have things that are not your everyday life. Just like the television I watch is not people mopping their floors because that's what I have to do at home. So we want sex to be stuff that gets our heart racing that is somewhat fictional. Uh, and, and so too many people put too much stock in fantasies thinking, what does it say about you? And just mm. like you guys were saying, I think one of you was using that word. Sex is entertainment, like the porn analogy. And so again, you know, it's always interesting that people say, what does it mean about me that I like this sexually? And then I say to them, well, what does it mean about you that you like watching Mission Impossible or the Coen brothers. What does that mean? It means that stuff entertains you and you have more of a positive response to it than negative emotion. So I would say my hint to people is use the five senses and start talking about sex, knowing that it's just entertainment. And so go and have fun with your, your friend or playmate, just like my daughter does with hers, knowing that that's a play session and it's just about creativity and letting go and getting your heart racing. That's so, I mean, that's, it's so fascinating to hear that because so many people get so wound up, don't they? Yeah. And things that they like and they think people are going to think I'm weird or this isn't normal or particularly like heterosexual men, if they like, you know, watching something or uh, they're interested in something to do with other men or what, they get so wound up in that, oh, what does this mean about me? And you've actually just answered the question. I mean, it's a bit like, well, you know, like you said, I like Mission Impossible. I like this TV show or this film. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, yeah, that's right. it, yeah it doesn't fundamentally mean anything groundbreakingly massive about me, right? Well, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, very... like, I whenever I watch porn or something like that, I'm always, I'm like, oh my god, this is so weird. Like, whatever I'm watching, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, is this normal for me to be watching this or whatever it is? And then, I mean, millions of other people are watching this exact thing, totally. you know. Totally. And, and it's just so funny to, because I was, I'm, I am like more cautious about like um, bringing it up to my, like to my boyfriend being like, oh, this is what I'm watching these days. Cause it is kind of, it's a weird shame thing right. that you can have, even if it is like, even if millions of other people are watching it, you don't want to feel like you are disgusting to your partner. What's their yeah. reaction going to be? Is the reaction going to scary? You know, these are the things, you know, and I, again, I'm I'm so lucky to have a great group of friends where, you know, we were away recently and we all decided to show each other clips of the kind of porn we watch. And I know that is so rare. I know that, and and there was men and women, we were there with couples. And I know that that is so rare for people to do that. But then of course, the the flip side of that is you're always thinking, oh, I'm weird and twisted for like this. And we have no problem saying to our friends, oh my God, did you see this show on Netflix? You got to check it out. It's so good. It's so dark or it's so funny 
or it's so crass. You know, there we have no shame to go for the most extreme things. And we celebrate craziness. Like we celebrate the Coen brothers. We celebrate like how twisted can you make your mind, except when it comes to sex. And mm-hmm. there it's weird for people to say, oh my God, you got to check out this porn clip. It really did it for me last night. And, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey was the one exception to that rule where women were passing that book along. Right. Which is kind of ironic because, again, it's not a great work of fiction. Totally. Uh, so it's funny. But, yeah. <laughs> but, exactly. but you know, we got to get to that place because otherwise the flip side is that we have couples who really are calling it intimacy. And yet it's the least it's the least intimate thing they do. It's the part of their lives where they know their partners the least. They don't know what they just recently got off to. They don't know how often they masturbate. They don't know how they masturbate. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like then how can you call that intimacy? That's okay if that's your choice, but don't call that intimacy then. You have more intimacy talking about your retirement plans. Right, yeah. That's so interesting the way you've said that and framed that, like what you've just said. I mean, you're talking about entertainment, talking about TV or what you're watching. Like you you could be somebody who's like watching some weird crime show where, you know, these horrible shows where people are being murdered in these gruesome grim horrible ways but we don't immediately think you're a psychopath and you're going to go and murder somebody but if some guy says he watched gay porn then oh my god that's the end of the world you know it's that means he's gay well it doesn't mean anything it just means that's what he was watching today and it's fascinating isn't it It, when you put it in those terms it's it's fascinating Do, do you think that um great sex or good sex or healthy sex what i don't know if those things are very interlinked and intertwined and in a sort of straight or deviating line do they do you need to have spontaneity or does that no for good sex. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad you asked that question. I'm so glad you asked that question. Mel, and I'll tell you why. Uh, you know, couples come in and, and or individuals, and I always ask them, you know, what's your goal coming in for therapy? And 99% of the time, I will hear that word spontaneous in their goals. They'll say, they'll say we want to get back to having spontaneous sex. Mm-hmm. And they're always, you know, I'm going to say it in the short form here on the podcast. I say it a bit differently when I'm in my professional role. But, but I always kind of look at them and I say, really? Like, you had spontaneous sex like in porn? Like, you were just hungry for pizza and you ordered pizza and then you opened the door and then you were like, oh no, I don't want the pizza anymore. I just want to have sex. Because I always say, you know, the best sex that most people are referring to that they had early on in dating was the complete opposite of spontaneous sex. If the if you've got a heterosexual couple and the man asked the girl out on a Tuesday night to go out Friday night, from that moment on, that girl was thinking about, okay, I got to make sure I have time to get home and shave and shower my leg, uh, sorry, shave my legs, yeah. shower and do my bikini line and what's the underwear and what am I going to wear? And then she, you <laughs> yeah. know, got herself ready and she, you know, had the full on shower and did her hair and did her makeup and ha- brushed her teeth to make sure she didn't have garlic breath for her lunch. And he was doing the same thing. And then they wined and dined and then they were touching across the table and then they got in the car and were touching each other's thighs on the way home. And then they were kissing and necking as they were putting their keys into the door. Like what part of that was spontaneous? Right. It's a lot of foreplay. (laughs) It's a lot of foreplay. It's a lot of building of anticipation. So of course, the moment he touches her, it's electric and it feels spontaneous because it feels like, whoa, I was ready to go right away. But there was no part of that that was spontaneous. And instead, what we now require is that people are supposed to be in the mood in the middle of changing diapers and cleaning up spit up, mm-hmm. you know, right. and it's sort of like, well, that's the wrong context. So I don't think spontaneity is accurate at all. I think that even if you end up at a bar hooking up with someone, you got dressed up that night, you got dressed up thinking, who knows who I'm going to meet. I don't mm-hmm. think there's a lot of great, truly spontaneous sex. I think that is a myth we've got to overcome. And as I always say to people, sex is again, unless you're doing it by yourself, it's a very social activity. 
there are no social activities at my age that aren't planned. I never have my girlfriends just show up at the yeah. door and be like, Carolyn, we were in the hood. We thought you'd maybe want to go out. It is always planned days and weeks yep. in advance. Of course. Now, one other thing I'll say is, on the other hand, I watch some of my couples take the idea of planned sex too literally. And they do it like Friday night, six o'clock, pants off, we got to go. And I always think there's nothing hot about that either. Uh, <laughs> you know, you don't want to have to schedule dessert. And, it, you know, you schedule going out for dinner. And then you see how much you want to eat. And you see what you want to eat. And, you know, there's flexibility there. And so same thing with sexuality. I want people to schedule time. And I want people to schedule preparing themselves, you know, having their shower, brushing their teeth, because all of those things are the things that get in the way for people where they're like, oh, I don't feel like I'm fresh, or I feel like my breath smells or my partner's breath does smell. So if they just <laughs> scheduled in getting ready and having yeah. time with each other, that is going to create the conditions needed for sex. Don't schedule the sex itself. And also don't expect spontaneous sex. Right. Because we point. have an entire episode about scheduling sex and whether that does work or does not. And for me, I'm, I like, as you say, like take the spontaneity out of it. But like, you know, I remember those days when you're just kind of like animalistic, way mm -hmm. more animalistic about it. And you just want to get on that person and it's super exciting. And, you know, you really want their dick in you and it's just Thank a whole you, thing you're welcome <laughs> and you know it's just it's it's a whole new experience um and yeah i just i find that if if you're like okay i'm gonna look cute and then it's like a whole thing but you've seen them all day already you know because everyone's working from home nowadays and it's just like a whole thing i find it so hard to kind of get over that is there a way to just kind yes. of get over seeing them every day, all day? <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, Susie, that's such a good question. And, um, you know, the thing is that relationships, including sexual relationships, take work and effort. You know, they're like your home and hopefully you love your home, but it's not like you just get to do nothing. And one of the things that I think is always interesting is how much we've conflated love and sex. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so people often have this idea of like, I love my partner, so I should want to have sex with them. But I always remind my couples that birth control only came about 60 years ago in the 1960s. And before mm -hmm. that, could you imagine if we stayed as horny as we were in the first six months of a relationship after 25 years, like your marriage, Mel, like mm -hmm. how many offspring would people have had? Terrifying. And so what <laughs> terrifying. And, and your children would have died because there wouldn't have been enough food yeah. for them, right? Yeah. So the brain yeah. is actually designed that once you have really pair bonded, once you are nest building, it's designed to be like, you know what, we need enough resources for the offspring because our brain doesn't really know about birth control. And so right. it makes a lot of sense that as we have more familiarity, as someone becomes familial, whether those are step siblings, whether those are us and our lovers, as they become more familial, the brain starts to turn down the desire knob. And so we have to strike that great balance. And Esther Perel does such a nice job talking about that in our mating in captivity. We have to strike the balance of how do you build comfort and security, but not so much that you're completely familial. How do you keep the newness and, and the individual, you know, that the individual doesn't lose themselves so that you can still be interested in the other and what they have to say. So COVID was terrible for sexual relationships. Yeah, it was right. great for masturbation. It was horrible oh, for hell yeah. sex. Yeah, because people were squished together and became way too familial. And right. So I think my, my answer to you is we both we, we both need to change our expectations that love and desire magically go together. They don't. And we have to create lots of newness and opportunities to keep relearning and learning about our partners, 
let's come back there to open up the communication, talk about sex differently. That'll do it as well. But if we become too familial, it's going to be a real challenge to have that eroticism there. Amazing. I love that. Amazing. It's just to yeah. hear it back is just I know the real doctor. Yeah, <laughs> what, you, what you think and believe to hear it back is it's almost like I don't know the, we're in the matrix or something. I know it's amazing <laughs> to hear it back. It's just so incredible, and how lucky your patients, clients uh, are, are to have you because it's, it's so common sense. All this stuff, and we're still so wound up. We're so wound up about in it. this like mess of trying to proceed and be progressive but we're not we've sort of we seem to go nine steps forward and five back yeah yeah but it's fascinating and carolyn you have literally been so incredible for this entire interview and um just yeah all of your answers have been right on and i want to ask you a million more things and i hope you'll come on the podcast again um for now we just have one last question and Mm -hmm. it's kind of a more personal question to you um and that's what is one truth that you would share with your younger self? And whether that's in sex or just in life, what is that truth? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to come up with three better answers as soon as we hang up. But <laughs> <laughs> you can see them on the next episodes when you come on, okay? But, you know, if I think about sexuality and pleasure and the struggles that I watch people have and that, of course, me as a human being has also had, I would say the one truth is you know, uh, that I wish I told my younger self who did at times doubt, you know, was I inappropriately interested in sex? Was there something wrong with me? It's just, there is nothing wrong when you are having pleasure that is not at the expense of anybody else, when it is you owning your own body and owning your own right to pleasure. I, I mean, I think I would just have given myself even more permission than I did. Yes. That was an incredible answer. Yes, and I, I totally agree with it. I'm sure give you yourself, can with that yes, lot, give but. yourself more permission than you already. I, I love that. I love mm-hmm. that so much because I don't. I don't think, especially women, are giving themselves enough of credit for just yeah. wanting no, to don't. have their own Not pleasure. Yeah, fantastic. Yes. Yeah, well, we can't can't wait to have you back on here. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully, maybe when we're in Vancouver, we can get together for a little yes. cocktail. Please more do. Sex talk. Please reach out. Please reach out. We love knowing our community. And so I would love that. Absolutely. Fantastic. And Carolyn, where uh, where can our followers um, find you or our listeners find yeah. you on your social yeah, media? So I'm on Instagram and it's um, Dr. Carolyn Klein spelled D-R. And then I don't know why my parents spelled my name without an E, but Carolyn doesn't <laughs> have an E. So it's D-R-C-A-R-O-L-I-N. K-L-E-I-N. Um, and that's Instagram. Or you can always send uh, me a message through our website, which is westcoastsextherapy.com. Amazing. Well, Fantastic. thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon, Carolyn. You've been an incredible help. And I'm sure our listeners will have so many other questions that we'll forward to you as well on our next Perfect. pod. Definitely. Wonderful. Thank, thank you, so, you much. So, too much, so much. Have a great <laughs> night. Take care. Bye. Bye. Amazing interview, Mel. Really, I mean, we said it. She's incredible. She really has so much to say about why sex in just life in general at every age, at every speed, you know, mm. it's so important to us and why we need such a health, more healthy sex community and why yeah. it's so important. Well, it gives me some sort of faith in humanity, to be yes. honest with you. Yes. Yeah, oh my God, totally. It's like, you know, that 
everyone is different. Everyone is unique. Everyone thinks something, you know, different. And, I, you know, just the way she talks about a lot of different things, including relationships and, you know, actually why do you sort of have this sort of very intense period when you meet somebody initially and then that wanes and then everyone sort of freaks out mm -hmm. and actually no, that's what biology kind of designed you to do. Yes. Does that make sense? Designed you to do? That yeah, but yeah biology, good. for sure. But, um, and so somebody actually to put it in those terms is is like amazing. And and then talking about things like, you know, porn that we're still so hung up on, we're so intensely divided, I think, about it, uh, that, you know, it's entertainment. And it obviously it has, the and if it is taken as entertainment and the sort of fantasy realm and sort of an interest realm, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. If it's taken in the other realm, which some some people read it completely, that's what it is. Yeah. And that it can be, you know, young people, that's all, that's their education. That's all they're looking at. And of course, it's not exactly brilliant. But I thought that was the way she put it was very good. Very yeah. interesting. No, I, uh, I hope we have her on the pod again. I hope she'll have, or she'll, I hope she'll accept our invitation. Um, invitation. Um, very soon again, because she was incredible. And I have so many more questions. And if you guys have more questions that you guys want to yeah. answer, uh, that you guys want answered uh, from Dr. Klein, um, I'm sure she'd be more than happy to. And you can always send those in to us and we will um, pass it on in our next interview with her. So thank you guys so much for listening again. And we'll see you next time. We will. Thanks for listening. Till we meet again. Love ya. <laughs> Sharing My Truth Pod is so excited to partner with Vibrator.com, where the A in Vibrator is the number eight. This is an extremely exclusive code where no other podcast has it. If you go to Vibrator.com right now, use the code MS15, that's MS15 at Vibrator.com, you can now get 15% off anything in store. That's any sex toys for you, your partner, your neighbor, your mom. We don't judge. We don't care. Get it now. Go to the link in our bio, put in the code, and get jiggy with it. Thanks so much for listening. Please rate and review this podcast and follow us on social at Sharing My Truth Pod and leave us a voicemail on our website, sharingmytruth.com to share your stories and experiences with us. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.